0: Stand back! There's a hurricane coming through. The
1: best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man! You gotta be the man. Ooh yeah! You know some Gene? Raw is it? PG. Jericho. Who doesn't matter what your name is? Austin316 says I just whipped your ass. He's the how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? You're welcome. For the benefit of those with flash photography, if you can
0: survive, if I let you. Welcome back to another edition of the Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, John, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Rob.
1: Another one for the good guys.
0: Oh, that's right. Although, the good guys didn't quite get what we wanted this week. Uh, if you want to reach us, it's Gian Wrestling on Twitter, Guys Nation Wrestling on Facebook, and Wrestling at is the email if you're still using that. Which, we know, anybody cool nowadays does not email.
1: Yeah. It's all, it's all about the 140 characters.
0: Yeah. So, get at us on the Twitter. Uh, we will get right back to you with any questions, comments, suggestions for what we should do. Uh, We're thinking about doing some, not just recapping what's going on now, but some more historical shows, maybe where we go over some all-time matches and things like that. So if you have anything you really want to hear, let us know. Uh, So a lot of big things on Raw this week, uh, arguably bigger than what happened on the pay-per-view. That seems to be the running theme lately. Uh, So first we see Cena come out. And his victorious return to Raw. He's got a got a little extra yo boy in the uh the initial promo. I don't know if you noticed that.
1: Yeah, he was definitely uh he was definitely acting a little strange and uh I think Sandow kinda hinted at that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe that was the purpose of it to kind of you know, since Sandow's such a grammar Nazi, you know, about language that you would notice that. So but anyway, that stuck out to me. Um but, yeah, so we get Sandow coming out and, you know, admonishing Cena for a little bit, saying he's going to cash, and then, then he doesn't. And Then uh, I think Cena tries to turn him around or something, and he nails him with the briefcase. That's kind of how it went down.
1: Yeah, I just remember that all of a sudden, you know, it looked like Sandow was saying that uh, John Cena looked like he was ripe for, uh, ripe for the picking. Then, uh, then he said he wasn't going to do it. And then all yeah. of a sudden the attack just came out of nowhere.
0: Right. And and I don't know about you, but the attack was great. Uh, you know, the aggressiveness, we've seen him do that with some of his moves in the ring. He does that kind of like repeated knee to the gut. Um, I think that's supposedly some sort of tenet of the Killer Kowalski school of, of wrestling where they teaches aggressiveness. Uh, so you can see that Sandow can be that, that crazy heel, um, and he could play that part in the story. Uh, so that was really cool and, I, and was the best part not when he gets him outside the ring and he's like, rise above this and throws him <laughs> at the right. wall. Oh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's the little things like that from Damian Sandow that uh, kind of put him over the top in terms of uh, his potential because it's not, it's not just his ability to cut promos and it's not just uh, the crispness of his moves. It's, uh, it's how he puts it all together and adds that extra 1% or 2% that uh, a lot of guys just don't do.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like some guys are overwhelmed and they can only focus on, you know, the move or something like that, but he adds the storytelling element on top of it. Because you figure something like Rise Above This, you would have thought one of his opponents would have thought to say that to him by now. You know, it's a pretty yeah, simple right. thing to come up with, but yeah, I'm sup- him I'm and surprised. Santa was the first one to pull it out.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, it's it's right there on uh, most of John Cena's T-shirts, right? I mean, you yeah. know, rise above hate or whatever, and uh, you know, just no one, no one harps on it, and they should.
0: Yeah, and I, I thought what else was great was you know the typical WWE uh, production values. They they showed like a horrified girl with her you know hands over her mouth and everything, like oh my god, John Cena's getting killed. Uh, so yeah, they made it they made Sandow look great on that. But then we get the match. Uh, they go right to commercial break before the match even starts. I mean, yes. it, what's the deal with that? A Money in the Bank cash-in and, and we don't get to see the match? You go to commercial break?
1: Right, it, and it just, it reeked of it being planned. It reeked of the fact that uh, this wasn't going to be the typical cash-in where uh, somebody comes out and maybe they exchange a couple moves, but then you know the, the opportunity was so ripe that it's just, it's over before it starts. So yeah, it and
0: of, you miss that opportunity to have his music hit at a random time and everybody be excited, you know?
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I thought I thought that was certainly a, uh, a, a down, a down part of, uh, the opening segment.
0: Yeah. So as soon as they go to commercial, I'm kind of thinking, well, holy ass, I can't believe he's actually caching it. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, well, this kind of means there's no way he's going to win it, because it's going to be a long match.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely got a text from you, and you actually said, holy shit. And the fact that uh, the fact that there were no exclamation points in it, um, I kind of got the idea that uh, you might not be too thrilled about what you were saying.
0: Well, I didn't want to put the exclamation points to spoil it for you in case you hadn't seen anything. But right. I wanted to let you know that there was something interesting going on at the yeah. end of the show. Uh, so, so yeah. Not only do we get that initial commercial break, but after a couple minutes of wrestling, when they come back, we get another commercial break. Two, in a cash-in.
1: Yeah, that that's a bit much. Cause at that point, it's like, okay, this is a legit match. And honestly, there's it probably had more commercial breaks than uh, most of the typical matches on Raw. And yeah. uh, that's that's really not what you're looking for if you, if you're thinking that uh, Damian Sandow might be successful in his cash in.
0: Yeah, and you know, and this really goes back to what I was saying on our post pay per view show about them panicking about ratings. I mean, you, you go ahead and have a cash in with John Cena to start off your show, and they cram two commercials in there. I mean, that's just like. Desperately trying to improve ratings and get advertisers thrilled about having their commercials thrown into that second that that segment right there.
1: Yep. Yeah, and it—I uh, don't think it's good for the overall product um, because then you certainly lose out on uh, a few different things. You lose out on potentially building that up more. You lose out on uh, speculation. You lose out on um, uh, just opportunities in the future.
0: Yeah, and so with the match itself, um, at least most people seem to agree, uh, from what I can tell in the the chatter online, that Sandow acquitted himself very well, Uh, not only with the initial barrage, but during the match, you know, he got to get in a lot of good moves. Uh, They told a good story, you know, some exciting kickouts. He's got a good feel for how to kick out, like, at the very last millisecond, I noticed, uh, which not every guy seems to have that down.
1: Um, So he got out of a
0: couple moves from Cena doing that.
1: Yeah, I I certainly like the way they did the the pre-match beatdown uh, where Sandow was just losing his shit. Um, And the match, for what it was, I really enjoyed it. I thought Sandow seemed like he fit, seemed like uh, it was natural for him to be challenging John Cena in such a big spot. I just didn't feel like, uh, for it being the first show after the pay-per-view... And for it being a cash-in, that the match—I I didn't feel like the match was appropriate for that. If if it were two weeks from now and they were just having a match where Sandow said, "I don't need this briefcase. I can can beat you in a non-title match and I can earn a shot," yeah, then I, then I would have felt better about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's certainly, you know, the logic of the cash-in is is something to consider. You know, and I guess if you want to look at it from Sandow's perspective. Okay, Cena's hurt, but he still just won his match against the champion already. And and right. why would Sandow think just hitting with the briefcase a couple of times is going to be enough? Um, I don't know. It, it, for a guy that seems to be so intelligent, that doesn't follow logically. You know, he, he should be waiting for a time where Cena's you know dead in the ring like everybody else does. I mean, he's the smart guy. Why would if everybody else can think of that, why couldn't he?
1: Yeah, it it reeks of the storyline writers backstage saying, okay, we're having you do this tonight because we need it to happen tonight and we need you to go out there and think of a reason as to why you're doing this. It it reeks of not being fully planned out for, you know, weeks at a time.
0: Well, and it also could easily be uh, a reverberation of the decision to have Cena come back early and win the world title. Uh, maybe they changed all their plans, and they thought, oh, okay, we're taking the world title off Del Rio, we're putting it on Cena, and now we got to get this briefcase out of the way. Yeah, the first opportunity they had, they got the briefcase off of Sandow.
1: Right. But it just seems like WWE does this sometimes, where they say, okay, this is the first show after a pay-per-view, whether it's the first Raw or the first SmackDown, and they say, we need to make a big splash with this. And it's like, you know a lot of people are tuning in because they didn't watch the pay-per-view or because they want to see what the fallout is from the pay-per-view. And WWE still goes the lazy route of giving us matches that were on the, you know, on the pay-per-view itself, but it seems like a lot of times they cram stuff in like number one contenders matches into that show because they want to pop the audience that week. And I don't think I don't think they really value the idea of saying, "Okay, Next week, something big is going to happen. Next week, this match is going to happen between these two guys.
0: Yeah, and I think that's potentially because something, you know, spoilers and uh, conjecture are just so rampant on the Internet that they want to be in control and be able to throw it at you without you expecting it.
1: And and that's a good
0: point. People talking on Twitter and all that.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point, except that... uh, you know, occasionally we have something big happen on SmackDown and WWE.com just announces it, right? right? So it's like
0: Yeah, I mean certainly there's a lot of questionable practices, but uh with with Sandow, I mean, where do you see this taking his character? Uh you know, I saw him at the end of uh at the end of the show when they had all the superstars out there. You know, of course Cena wasn't out there. But right since he's above that, apparently. (laughs) But, you know, Damian Sandow has to be out there looking like a chump.
1: Right. Uh, So, I
0: mean, you know, instead of looking like he's pissed off that he lost the match or not even being out there because he wants to say F-fist everything, you know, he's out there looking like nothing happened. Uh, So, you know, where do we see him going? Does he get involved? I mean, would they put a number one contenders match between him and Del Rio? Could he potentially get into something like that?
1: I think it's possible, but honestly, I think they're just going to dr- not necessarily drop the ball, but I think they're going to put the ball down for a while, and I I think it's not looking good for Damien Sandow to be in and around the main event for a few months. I mean, I think when it comes time for Royal Rumble, they might start building him up a little bit and, you know, have him get into something there, but I think, I think in terms of uh, Survivor Series coming up, I think... At best, he's going to be involved in maybe a high-profile five-on-five match. I don't see him being the center point of something.
0: Do you think maybe the decision to have him win Money in the Bank uh, all along was an odd decision, and they probably never really planned to have him you know, ascend in the way that Money in the Bank winners have in the past? I mean, he had never even had an Intercontinental or U.S. title match, let alone held a title.
1: Right. Um, I, I think... I think recently they've kind of not done as much with one of the Money in the Bank winners. I think you know they've they've done they've done okay with with things like okay Randy Orton cashed in that was a big moment uh, at SummerSlam, but then uh, you know Damian Sandow he, he makes it a big deal, but then he doesn't actually continue to get built up. And I think last year it was John Cena that that won Money in the Bank. But Dolph Ziggler had it for a while, and they ele- elevated him for a little bit, but then, you know, he's just kind of fallen by the wayside again. So I think, I think yeah. they always have one of the Money of the Bank briefcases as the high-profile one and the other one being, well, we'll elevate this guy, you know, for a month or two.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it begs the question, do you think if he, if he had won over Cena, would that have been shocking in the sense that it didn't seem like he was ready?
1: Um, I could I could see him as the world heavyweight champion. Um, I could see I could see him as the champion right now. I mean, I think you know he doesn't need to necessarily grow anymore. I mean, it's it's not it's not like they should be worried that he's going to leave like some of the other guys have that have had the belt and you know got risen to the top and then exited like uh, Bobby Lashley. They involved invested a lot in at the at the main event level, and then he left, and Brock Lesnar, same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, we'll see where it goes. I mean, truth be told, he's definitely one of my top superstars, so I hope he doesn't fall completely off the map in the way that someone like Ziggler has. Um, yeah. Because, you know, in my humble opinion, I think he's got a lot more potential than Ziggler. And, and quite, quite honestly, A lot of people disagree with me on that, probably.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of people do disagree with you, and and you know, I, I guess I understand where they're coming from. I, I don't I don't follow suit with them. But when I was seeing that all go down on Raw to start Raw, the first Raw after John Cena got that belt, I was disappointed because it, to me it didn't matter whether Damian Sandow won the belt or whether John Cena retained, because I, I felt like it was the wrong opportunity to cash in because you could have built up things between them more, and if Sandow wins, then John Cena didn't give enough rub to the belt, and if Cena retains, then you're burying Sandow too early.
0: Sure. Yeah, and it, yeah, you miss an opportunity for Sandow to troll him on the mic for a while. I mean, that could have just been good TV for a little bit, regardless of whether he was going to be victorious on the eventual cash-in. But, you know... That's all in the past now. We'll see what they do going forward. Uh, Cena's going to be on SmackDown, so we'll see how that works out. You know, that might be a way for him to wrestle a little less, yet still be on TV, but... So, moving on. uh, The next big segment on Monday night was Daniel Bryan confronting, well, HBK calling out Daniel Bryan to the ring um, for what went down. I guess he He decided that uh, Daniel Bryan should shake his hand uh, and show respect to him because he's an A-plus player. I mean, it was a little odd. You know, you're the one that cost Daniel Bryan the match. Uh, I mean, he's the one that has to come down and ingratiate himself to you.
1: Right. It, It almost felt like Shawn Michaels was supposed to say, I'm sorry for what I did, but you'll have to just understand that I did what I did because of who Triple H is and what he means to me. And you're just going to have to accept my apology, knowing that I really didn't have an alternative. But I don't, I don't feel like Shawn Michaels really said he was sorry. He just said, "I did what I did, and you need to respect me." It's like, yeah, he, that's
0: weird. And he had talked, you know, on the on the RAW before the pay-per-view about how he was going to do what's right for the fans, you know, and was getting them behind him, and then during this segment he says, you won't understand, and they won't understand, pointing to the fans. You know, so he's he's kind of being a heel right from the start.
1: Yeah, and I, I personally like the fact that uh, they're going slightly heelish with Shawn Michaels because it seems like whenever these, uh, these WWE legends come back, whether it's Foley or Bret Hart, or The Rock, or whomever, whenever they come back, it's like, oh, let's pop for these guys. Oh, like, you know, we're so glad to see them. And then it's like they might be around for one night or three nights or a few weeks. Yeah. And it's it seems like the writers are just not comfortable with the idea of potentially using them in a heelish way.
0: Now, it was nice that the crowd um, dictated kind of the way this was going to go right from the beginning. They started chanting, you sold out. Uh and that's, you know, that's HBK in the ring. And that's Daniel Bryan, who's just now becoming big, uh, has the entire arena behind him, like, right off the bat.
1: Yep, and I, I thought that was good. I was a little disappointed to see some of the reaction online where some people were were cursing the fans, saying, you know, why, why would you ever side with this indie guy over HBK, the legend? And it's like, what are you talking about? The writers are the ones that kind of gave us the direction to go, and it played naturally to the fans where they wanted to boo him.
0: You know, and that brings up an interesting point that we hadn't really planned on talking about, but since you said it, I want to throw it out there. Um, HPK is considered a legend, obviously, and he was even rated number one superstar of all time on their, like, countdown list, and he gets all these accolades, but how much of that is perception versus reality? I mean, is he really as much of a legend as he's been built up to be?
1: Honestly, I've never been a fan of his. I mean, not that I don't appreciate what he can do, but I've never been a fan. I've always, I've always been a Shawn Michaels hater. I mean, um, you know, one of my best friends. I guess
0: you are slightly biased, being a bread heart jock sniffer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I was about to say I wouldn't go that far, but. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I've never been a fan of Shawn Michaels. Uh, one of my one of my best friends, uh, who uh, we've watched pay-per-views with, uh, he's a huge Shawn Michaels fan. I've never I've never fully understood it. I mean, I can appreciate what Shawn can do in the ring, but honestly, have you ever seen Shawn Michaels do a different gimmick than the one he always does? I mean, he's He's yeah. the party guy, he's the, the douchey guy, he you know, he is anti authority. He likes to have fun at, at other people's expense. Have you ever seen anything other than that from Shawn Michaels?
0: No. And and the fact remains that his time on top was the worst time for the WWF. I mean, it was the ratings were in the toilet. Uh, it wasn't until he got out of the picture that they started recovering and beating WCW.
1: Right, and I mean, that's a fact. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Degeneration X. I know after everything I just said that you would think maybe I was, but uh, I will give DX credit. They were entertaining, and they were a significant part of the uh, history of the business. But if you look at it, DX wasn't really as good at it as it got to be until Shawn Michaels took a back seat and you know was out of the picture and it was Triple H leading the group that included China and the New Age Outlaws and X-Pac.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, most of the memorable moments, uh, the, you know, that you'll see in video highlights of DX is from that period when he wasn't involved. Uh, yes. So anyway, yeah, I just think it's an interesting debate. Maybe we can have that on a on a different podcast. But uh, it's definitely always struck me as strange that he gets so much credit, but yet. When he was on top, the business was in the tank, and he came back, and you know he had a, a number of five star matches. It sounds like, but he was never a main event guy. He was never uh, carrying the torch for the WWE in the early 2000s. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, he, so, he put over he put over a lot of guys, and to me, that was his his the most useful thing about Shawn Michaels is the guys he helped elevate.
0: And you gotta you gotta think maybe that was um, his lot in the business at that point, that Vince probably said, look, you're not going to be the champion, but if you want to come in here and do right by all these guys, then then we'll have you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, it's probably a much bigger discussion we won't get into today, but, you know, in a lot of ways, the talk of, of Shawn Michaels before he left the business was that, for a little while is that uh, he did a lot of politicking backstage. He wasn't cooperative with other guys. He didn't want to put anybody else over, yeah, he just want to be the top guy.
0: Yeah, and there's a there's rumors and stories I've seen that he, he refused to put the Rock over, and the Rock's never actually had a match with him other than a tag match. He refuses to work with him. So I don't know. Interesting stuff there. So uh, yeah, I've I find it hard to side with HBK, and but there's certainly fans out there like your friend and I had another friend myself that is just a huge mark and will never like anybody else. Um, one other point I want to make about that segment. Was uh, when Sean Michaels was saying, "I took you to finishing school," and the right. second he said that, the camera flipped to Daniel Bryan, and he's got his raggedy hair and, and ratty beard and all this. It's like, yeah, he just came out of finishing school.
1: Right, right, right. He's like this this polished young man now, right?
0: Yeah, but uh, that was good stuff. So, uh, later on, Daniel Bryan has been moved into a different storyline. Um, Who knows if they're all related or not. I think there's some speculation to be had. Uh, But Daniel Bryan was backstage with the ever amazingly hot Renee Young. And uh, she steps aside and he's looking around and then, boom, the Wyatts attack him. Um, So he says, the devil made me do it. Similar thing happens later after CM Punk's match. Uh, he comes in there and you know takes care of him and says the devil made me do it again. Now I have some questions here. Okay. With him repeating that line, obviously it means something, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's clearly part of the uh, part of the, the the gimmick now, the storyline.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple issues at play here. Could be completely unrelated, but they jumped out at me. So when Haman was coming out for the Hell in a Cell. He kept talking about how he's Satan uh, and how Punk has sold himself to the devil and all this stuff. And now Ryback's here to collect your soul, which was kind of out of the ordinary for Paul Heyman. He doesn't necessarily talk about Satan and demons that often.
1: I yeah, he's, de- he's definitely uh, kicked up the weirdness factor in the past few weeks.
0: So you saw that. And then you also saw when The Miz was out in the ring at Hell in a Cell, and Bray why kind of cut a, a Titantron promo. He said, uh, if Miz could only see the monster that lives behind my eyes. Now, the word monster is what Kane keeps using, whereas he normally is known as the Big Red Machine, right? Right. So why is he suddenly calling himself the monster? And then, you know, and he's recently been involved with Wyatt who said something about having a monster behind his eyes. I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but the use of those words, and we know they script a lot of this. Yeah, yeah, you know, it seems like a weird coincidence.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think yet again, I mean, this is something where uh, I think if if our listeners aren't noticing a trend, they really should, and it's that you pick up on on things that they're doing in WWE that not a lot of people are picking up on. I certainly didn't pick up on it, but. If you go back and, and hear, hear what you've, you've been talking about, if people go back and listen, you pick up on a lot of things that eventually come to fruition. So, you know, I, I had another thought as to where this all is going, and we can talk about that in a minute. But uh, I think it's I think it's a really interesting potential because you're right. Kane has been calling himself, himself a monster. Um, you know that it is going in line with with some of the things that uh, Bray Wyatt has been saying. Um, I think there's some serious potential there.
0: Yeah, and so it's it's really hard it's really hard to put all that together and, and get a clear picture, but the connections are there for something. Um, and it begs the question, I think, overall, is do we think Bray Wyatt's in charge, or do we think he's being controlled by someone else? To you know, is Bray Wyatt directing the attack on Daniel Bryan and CM Punk? or is somebody like Kane or Heyman or who knows, or the authority directing him to do it?
1: To me, it seems like Bray Wyatt is in the position of power there. I mean, that's that's always been his role with uh, Rowan and Harper. Um, I, was, I was fully expecting Kane to come back and be under Bray Wyatt's control, um, and I was expecting it to grow into something where Bray Wyatt is in the Raven position with with Raven's Flock and I was really looking forward to that. But if if somehow Paul Heyman is involved, you got to think that it's not just Bray Wyatt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I do think Heyman would probably be a stretch. I just but that promo that he cut was so out of the ordinary that it's it's certainly worth keeping in mind. Um, because the problem with him being involved is that you, then you have Axel and Ryback out there that somehow would need to be resolved, I don't know. But I agree with you overall, though. It seems like Wyatt needs to be in charge, because that's his character, and it would cut it would kind of cut him at the knees if he was being controlled by someone else.
1: Right. And I, I almost feel like there is the opportunity for um, Bray Wyatt to be... Influenced by someone like Heyman, and then to call his own shots. But for me, it doesn't match up to have Heyman with Curtis Axel and Ryback and potentially Brock Lesnar, and then to have the Wyatt family. I, I almost feel like uh, at this point you can't really sever things between Ryback and Paul Heyman, um, and Ryback is really the... Uh, The cog in that thing.
0: Well, my only thought with that is, you know, Heyman could easily decide that he's been failed by Axel and Ryback, and that in order to achieve his goals, he has to go a different direction. And he wasn't on screen on Monday, whereas in the past when he's been beat, he's still on screen. Right. Um, So, you know, working in the shadows, we've seen Heyman do that in the past. Who knows? Maybe they go with something like that. We don't see him for a few weeks, but these attacks continue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you go that route, you almost have to go the route where Paul Heyman is just um, almost going insane because of the beatings he's taken, going insane because he's got this monster and this prodigy, and they're not able to guard him from CM Punk, and it's almost like he's not in his right mind. And, and we saw him
0: go insane in that promo uh, last Monday. Yep, the volcano yeah. and all that.
1: Right, right. So. Yeah, I, I think there's a potential that uh, he's somehow a follower of Bray Wyatt and directing some things. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It's 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 tough to tell.
0: Yeah, Bray Wyatt's such a strong character that you know I hope I hope uh, he doesn't get undermined by by a different authority figure. But you know his his in ring work I guess needs needs some work, but. But as a character, he, he's amazing, and and the uh, the beatdown on Daniel Bryan, you know, with just kind of the body language he was using, it's really good. Uh, and and most people seem to agree he's one of the creepiest characters they've seen in a while.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think even even in the ways that he might be limited in his in ring ability, he's still got certain moves that he does extremely well. He's still got that style to him. I don't want to set I don't want to I don't want to take too much to to compare him to The Rock, but I'll tell you that The Rock wasn't always extremely fundamentally sound. I mean he did certain moves great, he added a certain flair, and it's a different style certainly than what Bray Wyatt does, but they each have that intangible, that that extra two percent that I was talking about with Sandow, and when you have that you don't have to know a thousand moves, you don't have to do all the things right, you don't have to be exciting in the ring, because the things you do tell a story, and they intrigue the viewers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of us can agree that when he's on the screen, that we can't take our eyes off of it, and that's, that's always a good thing. All right, so we just mentioned a little bit about Kane. Uh, we'll jump on that when we get back from the break. We'll also talk about uh, what's going on with the big show and this lawsuit and Triple H and all that. Uh, we'll talk about tag division. Uh, a couple interesting matches went down there. And is there a crack in the shield? We'll discuss that on the next segment.